Aesthetic Podcast. My name's Eric, and this is Randy. Hello. If I have to open my drink, dude, I have to start off the show opening my beverage. You have to. So I have to, dude. Yeah, dude, do it. Uh, we're going to, so check it out. We're going to talk about memory leaks in uh, macOS Monterey. Steam Deck Delay just got the email today. DaVinci Resolve, because we love talking about uh, video editing, and we also got some camera stuff, HDR workflow stuff. We'll talk about that because it's been kind of our uh, our jam lately, right? It's kind of like what we do all day, yeah. every day, it seems like. Yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> like, uh, like um, just basically camera stuff in general has, like, consumed my life, and, and I feel like it's for the better. Like, not even from a... From a productivity standpoint, right. but I feel like I'm also learning things, you know, and yeah. that's a good thing. No, so. it is. You know, I, I feel like I'm always learning stuff. This is this is kind of off topic, but like like I sent you that thing today where my work wanted me to look at this like uh, DC power supply for some expensive piece of equipment. And I was like, I can maybe fix that. You know, it's kind of weird go. how like yeah. we're, we're like jack of all trades, you know, a little bit. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can, I can solder on some bad caps, you know? Like, no, I get that, dude. I get that. Like, it's fun to, it's fun to expand the mind. It I is. guess it's probably the best way to put it. Like, it's fun to, to explore, yeah. you know? It's funny because I was not like this as a kid. Like, I was probably the worst student, like, in school. Oh, I was too. I was too. But I think it's because, you know, as we get older, we can kind of focus on things that actually interest us. Right. Versus things that don't. Like, and we have uh, access to information uh, now, like with the we internet. We do, we do. Yeah, like I had no, I had no real interest in like reading Catcher in the Rye and then like trying to interpret, you know, what the author's thoughts were in chapter four, the first three paragraphs. Like, yeah. I don't know, man, he was writing a book. Like, yeah. like, like, like I'm not a mind reader, like, you know. <laughs> I know what but, you mean. Anyway, dude. yeah. No, it's kind of interesting, but um, yeah, let's roll into our first to- topic, dude. So we got this memory leak. So check it out. There's been people reporting memory leak issues with macOS Monterey. I think um, you're one of them who's and, reported an issue, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So, you know, I was reading on Reddit. Uh, people were saying, oh, we're having issues. And I was like, okay, well, um, you know, my battery life's kind of been crap. Because people will say, like, one of the symptoms is bad battery life. Uh, you notice that uh, if you have this memory being eaten up, uh, it tends to have this hit on your battery life. And even though I know and I expected the M1 Max 14-inch MacBook Pro to have worse battery life, I feel right. like it's, like, pretty bad. Like, pretty bad. I seen a screenshot so compare, the other day. So compare bad for me. Like, put that in context for me and put that in context for our viewers. Yeah, so... You know, like, uh, if any, anyone's kind of familiar with the 13-inch M1 MacBook, uh, some of the execs are, like, uh, Air Force One, Craig Federici, and yeah. others... When they were first, you know, like given prototypes of the M1 Mac to test, which is actually the one that I still use and still have, like in the old chassis with the touch bar, uh, they thought that there was a problem with the software because it was reporting insane battery life. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, that's just how good it is, right? Like they literally thought it was a problem, but it was reporting properly. And as someone... As, as someone who now has that MacBook and uses that MacBook as their daily driver, it's really yeah. interesting to me to, you know, kind of almost change my workflow to the point where I would take this to work and not take my charger or I'll go use it on the couch and not take my charger. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of a quality of life that once you have it, I think going back to a battery life in a more traditional laptop might be pretty difficult. So I'm interested to hear exactly what your performance is and what you've been experiencing. Cause I know you've been yeah. a long time user of the 13 M one MacBook, and now you kind of have the, uh, 
the so, 14 M1 Max for comparison. So. Yeah, that was one of the problems was I knew that my, um, I guess, like my benchmark for what battery life should be has been skewed by the 13 inch because yeah. it was so good that I got so used to not even thinking about plugging it in I, and just like using I mean, it, you know. I mean, f- f- full disclosure for those of you who haven't had it, it's almost like an iPad, right? Like, wouldn't you say that? Like, the 13-inch M1 Mac is almost like iPad-like It is. Battery. Like, you use it, and you don't think about, like, how much you're using it, what you're doing on it. You're just using it, right? Right. And I think that's the awesome thing about it is, like, you could be doing anything, whether it be, like, using the GPU performance. Like, you might be playing games on it. You might be watching videos. Uh, you might be doing video editing. And you don't really mm-hmm. think about what you're doing and how it's impacting your battery life on the 13-inch M1 because it's just so good, like, no matter yeah. what you're doing. And I knew that, you know, with the M1 Max chip and these new laptops, it was going to be, like, four times as demanding, theoretically. And so I had this expectation we're going to have worse battery life, right? Like, that was my prediction. And so let me ask you a question. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you there, but also we have promotion now, right? So in theory, and we have mini LED. Right. So in theory, maybe the screen is also more efficient and that could kind of combat some of that battery life usage. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it depends. Like, I feel like more efficient. Is it more efficient? I don't know. Because uh, when I looked at my like uh, my usage graph and I saw like, okay, I used it heavily for like a three hour period. And my sure. screen on time, you know, it was, it was all, and I use full brightness. Like, I guess it's 500 nits, uh, for SDR content. Is it 500? Yeah. It's calibrated. Okay. So if you're doing SDR content, it's 500 nits, which is the same as like your 13 inch MacBook pro, I think. So, so kind so, of just, yeah. So I, because I don't know this either is SDR like calibration set to 500 nits for all SDR content or is that just what Apple decided to calibrate it to like if you were if you were mastering something in SDR let's say would you target 500 nits peak brightness so it's kind of interesting because i suppose when you're talking about mastering you know there's some things involved cuz theoretically i mean just by standards alone SDR is designed around 100 nits peak uh, oh really it is wow I've been doing this whole HDR sort of uh, discovery. And, you know, the thing about SDR is it's really only designed to accommodate for 100 nits when it was, you know, kind of developed. Now, obviously, nobody consumes, unless it's like, you know, our significant others, nobody consumes content at that low brightness, right? Like, oh, no, (laughs) she loves that. Yeah. I I I mean, Kelly's phone is pretty much always off. That's what I mean. Like, I can't even read what's on Amanda's screen half the time. She's trying to show me something. And I'm like, dude, how do you even look at that? That's the person that's consuming content at 100 nits. But like me, I'm blasting my eyes with as bright as my displays will allow. So I'm sitting here like trying to push you know, I above 500 nits, but that's my, my peak, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, right. right. Um, but yeah, so I think what Apple's done is they, that's kind of what they've done is on historically on their laptops. It's been 500 at the best of times. Like if you had the air, I think that it's like 400 maybe max. And then like you go up to the pro, like the 13 inch pro, and then now you have 500 nits. That's sort of been what they've targeted for their SDR experience. From what right. I can tell, I'm not sure if the iPads have the exact same sort of calibration there. But, but like, another thing you can consider is, like, you can adjust your brightness as well um, on these things. So, like, grade to whatever room you're in, I guess. For me, I kind of like to have 
like the full brightness. <laughs> Uh, so I'm not really sure what like the professional answer is for that. Okay. Okay. I don't think it really matters significantly. I think so, you need to grade it to whatever looks so good for you. Something a little bit interesting: the twenty, the twelve point nine inch iPad Pro. Yeah. Uh, from twenty twenty one, the one with the mini LED, like uh, the one that Kelly has. Right. Uh, that's six hundred nits SDR peak brightness and sixteen hundred for HDR. So it's actually. A little bit brighter than the MacBook, it seems. Well, sixteen hundred HDR on the MacBook, like that's yeah, but it's, uh, it's it's six hundred for SDR. Yeah, the SDR. Let me make sure I'm not wrong on that. So I'll type. I checked my, it for you. Okay, thank goodness. I so fact you, checked you in real time. Thank you for that. I so, got yeah, you, man. Five hundred nits. Snopes, dude. So that's I'm interesting. Like Snopes for tech information. No, <laughs> thanks for that because I was, you know, that's actually fascinating. You know, this is not really off topic, on topic, but like. Whenever I open an iPad app, like I used to open an iPad app within um, Mac OS because you can do that. And I always noticed like they were brighter. I wonder if like <laughs> I, I almost like wonder if huh. they, they they understand what their iPads look like and they they like give you the same experience like they you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's, I don't know. I'm curious. Um, <laughs> I, I just noticed it was like more vibrant and just popped. It was like brighter. I was like, are they limiting like Mac OS native stuff to a certain point? And then like if you're on a uh, like an iPad app, it just like <laughs> it's different. I don't know. They could do that. But anyway, let me go back to the topic, which is this memory leak. My yeah, battery sorry, life dude. is bad. We get off on a tangent, dude. Um, I feel like the battery is like, like obviously, like I said, I've been spoiled by the 13 inch. I still think this is bad, like worse really? than it should be. Yes, I think. Well, this yeah, is worse, worse than it should be. Do you feel like it's like uh like falling into like Windows laptop territory? Um, kinda. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Like it. It feels like it feels worse than the 16 inch MacBook Pro Intel. If you were hmm. running on dedicated graphics. Um, on dedicated graphics like so like uh for context like if you have a 16 inch intel macbook pro with like the 5500m or whatever are you talking like dedicated graphics under load like playing a game well that maybe not good. maybe not like under load right because i could kill like a 16 inch uh uh in like an hour like i could kill mm-hmm. it uh under like if i was playing world of warcraft under an hour it's better than that right okay um even under significant load but it doesn't feel much better than that i think that that's that sounds that sounds not good it's not it does it's not good and i i hope that it's because of the memory leak because i'm not really satisfied with battery performance like i definitely use it on battery right like i was doing some davinci resolve color grading on the couch and it was fine but i definitely like had a couple times where i caught myself with low battery and i was like i gotta plug in and I'm not used to that feeling, you know what I mean? Like the the M1 MacBook Pro, I never had that feeling, but now that I'm on the M1 Max, right. it's like, but now I'm starting to think, hopefully it's that memory leak, because if they can fix that, and I definitely, like I sent you the screenshot, uh, but you didn't really get to see it, I cut it out on accident, but the max memory use, I was using like over 40 gigs, like 45 gigs of memory, right? Uh, just chilling. I was. I saw you had like what Control Center was sixteen point something. Yeah, or 14 I thought it was, like it was ridiculous. But it was. Pretty I, I, high, I mean, right? just for comparison, guys. Like when he sent me that screenshot, it was between twelve or sixteen gigabytes. Let's say that. Yeah. Uh, which is so like I then just pulled up Activity Monitor on my 
M113 also running Monterey, and my control center was 44 megabytes. Yeah. So, so like, I I have my 13 in front of me. Um, just seeing if it changed. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, it was bizarre world because yours was like I basically had to scroll down the list to find it and i had to scroll down the list now so like my control center is 30 megabytes 30.8 megabytes uh and i'm at i'm at uh 58 battery and that was me using it all day at work so i'm not leaking at least at least not yet yeah i gotta say dude if like if you're someone i think that if you don't need the power dude stay on the m1 stay on it because it's yeah. so good for the like the performance per watt on it it's kind of like in this god tier territory it really is and it, I mean, like that kind of makes sense right because yeah they put the same chip in the ipad right so if the ipad battery which is significantly smaller can handle it right yeah i mean that's kind of true i think that um gosh hold on my doorbell's ringing dude. and all this stuff let me make Ding sure dong. they're dealing with it but yeah the the ipad definitely can handle like if it can handle the M1 chip, then that's kind of, you know, fascinating. Okay, Amanda's taking care of it. I'm, I'm looking at my camera right now. Oh, God, you're hearing it over Bluetooth. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I got pizza, dude. I got pizza coming. Up so, this, uh, <laughs> yeah, I got that Papa John's anyway. Papa John's. Yeah, dude, I got like Breaking a mouse, four-day Papa's weekend, house, you know? I got oh, this. man, that's awesome. I, get, I took off some time. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I took out some time around Thanksgiving, but okay. uh, yeah, I got a four day weekend, dude. I got like tomorrow off, sweet. and then I'm taking Friday because I ain't coming in, dude. Let's be real. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I was like, let's get a four day in. I kind of need one, you know. Like I kind of feel like all that work from home getting. To yeah, you. dude. It's oh, gosh, it's a lot of work from home. You know, it's like gosh, <laughs> I got rough a, times. Yeah. Rough times. Rough times. Rough times. Uh, I actually got a coworker that might watch my podcast, so I can't be like, oh, I'm slacking off. I'm not slacking off, but uh. But yeah, no, but like, I, I mean, like being home is obviously a different vibe than going in the office. Way right? different, way better. Yeah. Actually, you know, I was talking yeah. to some coworkers today and they were saying like, there's some people that have legit like found jobs that they could be permanent at home. Like, it's kind of like they got used to it with COVID and then was like, I yeah. want, I want this like full time. You know, kind of in that boat now. Like, uh, but it's weird. Like, like this is kind of an offshoot. So, so I'll I'll make it quick. But essentially, the too long didn't read is like they want to have this office reopening in January, right? Uh, but they required vaccinations. So now you have this small sect, this small group of and, and like Kelly's vaccinated. You know, she went out, she did the right thing. Yeah. And now she's expected to come in the office two days a week starting January. Yeah. And, and that may be her permanent schedule, where she's in the office for two days, she's home for three days. Not that bad. Yeah. However, there are a few people who chose to not get vaccinated. Right. And and, and not do the right thing, and they put in for an accommodation. Uh, which is basically a religious exemption, you know, like whether or not they're religious, that's, 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 that's the card they're playing. You know what I mean? That's the trap card from the Yu-Gi-Oh hand. Yeah. Well, you, you, you know what's happening with them. What's up? Uh, they get to work from home permanently. No. 
That's ridiculous. So, that's bullshit. so now Kelly that's like feels like dude. So, They're not so favoritism, well, 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 like, uh, well, like you can't. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it basically turns into, into, into this whole legal battle because like religion is difficult, right? It is. So, so the easiest thing for them to do to protect everyone is to just not bring unvaccinated people into the office, right? And they can't lose, you know, like twenty percent of their workforce. Like, yeah, it would cripple the organization. So now she's in this position where it's like, oh, well, it's a good thing that I did the right thing because if I didn't do the right thing, I would get rewarded for it. Essentially, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's a weird situation, and like, I don't want to get political on the podcast or anything but just something to take note like how different the environment is in terms of like remote work yeah. and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable yeah um no it's all good dude we're all about uh, getting off topic but uh so uh <laughs> did apple acknowledge this battery link I, yet? this uh, memory link yet or i no? don't remember dude i just remember having it and going well that's funny i'm using 40 some gigs and i'm doing nothing After i know reboot, it's all it over fixed. reddit i know it's all over reddit yeah um i i i, I did i did also want to bring up a side topic that right. I thought of while we were talking, if you're cool with that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I wanted to discuss uh, Tim Cook's official response to sideloading. Oh, I did see that. Very interesting. Yeah. He was basically like, use Android. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> if you're interested in sideloading, uh, buy an Android phone. Yeah. And then there were some things that kind of made me feel a little awkward when he went, what, what, like what his reasoning was, <sighs> where ahead. he basically said that, that, Side loading apps is a giant cybersecurity risk, and he would rather be in a walled garden right. than be on a platform that allowed you to install anything. And that's how kind can of, you say that when you have Mac OS? That kind of scared me and a lot of people in 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 the comment thread saying that like, is this a push to lock down Mac OS? Like, is this a, is this what we're gonna see, where only approved Mac App Store apps are gonna be allowed on Mac on, on future versions of Mac OS now that now that they you know basically control the whole stack um well you can tell they already sort of push for that right like they they don't make it easy for you to just download stuff off the internet they they go out of their way to be like oh you have to go to security and then accept anyway. it yeah. and like that's kind of weird right but i have to do that quite a bit for certain things i download and oh, same yeah like like it's it's like when i first started doing it it was like do i really have to do this every time but that's kind of the case like that's and I'm so used to it now that I'm like, oop, boop, 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 I mean, boop. But, like, it's still, like, that's Apple's sort of, like, I guess what they want to do. Deterrent. Right? Deterrent. Yeah. So, so like, a couple points I, 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 I want to bring to light here. That's kind of like a like a more robust version of what I would consider UAC to be on Windows, you know, like user account control. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Uh, but I also do want to say that, like, for, for applications like Zoom and stuff, and I've, I've encountered this a lot over the pandemic, right, obviously working in IT and dealing with, you know, people who aren't used to teleconferencing and things of that nature or video conferencing, um, that users who have had a Mac and weren't tech savvy, uh, the increased security on uh, Mac OS was a huge deterrent to them getting work done and interesting really and the reason for that is is because if you download zoom it needs individual access to your camera and needs individual uh. access to screen share it needs individual access to your microphone it needs individual access to all of these things and if someone is in a hurry and, and, and they just misclick on one prompt their zoom's not going to work wow you know that's you know hilarious I mean? so so it kind of falls into that category of you know 
at, at what point do your features impact the end user? You know, so yeah. like now then their perception is, well, I could never get Zoom to work on the Mac. And that's kind of the world you live in when you deal with IT is people will never accept responsibility for their own actions. Right. Yeah. So like, so it's so like, I see it at my work all the time. It's like, it's like, you know, um, uh, <sighs> Randy, something's wrong with this PowerPoint. Okay. Like, like they immediately assume that it's the software. And I think that's kind of a bad look for Apple, right? Like if you, if, if, if like the, if like, you know, right, wrong or indifferent, if, if the perception of the reality is, is that this hardware is preventing me from doing something, even if it's a setting they willingly clicked, their perception is it was harder for me to do it on Mac. Wow. That's actually very interesting. And let me tell you why I think so. Um, okay. Did you see the announcement today? about Apple Business Essentials? I didn't. So they've, okay, they just introduced their small business sort of uh, enterprise sort of solution is what it it is. Uh, The only thing I did see was that Mac OS was now going to be a supported file server for ZFS 3.0, but I'm... I'm I'm a bit of a storage net, like not to the point of your buddy, but like I would right. say I'm like a neophyte storage net. Yeah. So, so they they're basically um, pushing for the small business right now. Uh, they have like this uh, centralized management. You can manage your users like Active Directory. You can have uh, automatic backups to iCloud. You can have you can manage Apple devices like MLM sort of thing. It's like for all your Apple products. And I think they're pushing for that small business. It's supposedly going to scale up to uh, like small to medium size. Don't know if you can go beyond that. But so it's, this it's may really be a, for uh, that, like, you know, you got a hundred devices, 150 devices sort of target. This may be an in the weeds question, um, but you can, you can add iPads to MDM in yeah. Azure and like Active Directory and stuff. You probably know that. Yeah. Can you add Windows devices in the Apple? You know what? I almost guarantee you, no, dude. I, that's I what I'm thinking, dude. That's you. what I'm thinking, no. dude. Yeah. So I think this is interesting because uh, obviously the on the enterprise side, it's very Windows dominant, right? Like you, it's just the way it is. Unless unless you have creators that you're supporting that that need uh, Apple products, yeah. typically your Office nut is going to be on a Windows machine. At least that's how it is in most enterprise that I see. And yeah, um, so so you know, just to give some credence to that, uh, uh, we run largely a Windows DC. Uh, and then when I started there, we were on-prem, and then we ran hybrid, which is basically their, their on-prem Azure AD, and now we convert it completely to Azure AD. Okay. Uh, and we run all Windows machines, except we have we now have a Mac Mini, an iPad, and I just ordered an M1 Max Mac Pro for myself because uh, you know COVID kind of inspired this like whole teleconferencing and, and, and remote work scene. Yeah. And uh, we do a lot of remote trainings now, so uh, we kind of incorporated the studio. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you, like working off of like a, a Microsoft Surface Book in like Resolve is just not a good experience. You know what I mean? Like it's just not a good experience. Yeah, I'd uh, say like, and it's yeah. it, you can make it better. You can you can do things to improve uh, Resolve on Windows, but it's not as, as stable 
as yeah. it is on Mac OS and the the built-in like acceleration with like ProRes and stuff make it really great. Like Mac OS yeah, is pretty and like, good for that sort of work. And like I I was just gonna add like aside from that, like with our contracts, we can either get a Dell XPS or a Surface Book. Yeah. And neither of them offer like higher than a thirty sixty. So Right. So yeah, I totally get it. Um, so really, like, e- there's a good reason to go to Apple in this case. The small business is a, the Apple Business Essentials is sort of a push to get in there and like uh, kind of have that uh, enterprise market penetration at least in the small business category. Yeah. I'm really curious to see if it will go anywhere. I'm sure it's going to have a lot of limitations, like you were saying. It's probably going to be very Apple focused. Um, but it might be really compelling, you know, I don't, I don't know. Cause I know I personally am not the biggest fan of the Microsoft solution nowadays. I think that we could do better in 2021. So I think it'll be interesting to see if, uh, Apple shakes it up a little bit And they're They're also having like, they're saying like, oh, well, we'll actually provide you a lot more support too. So like you were saying the people that have issues with zoom and stuff, Apple might have to actually deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's interesting. Maybe they'll actually make some improvements to make that user experience a little bit more uh, friendly. But I, you know what? At the same time, I like how Apple sort of sandbox all these different uh, things, right? Like mm-hmm. permissions wise, uh, you can do it on Windows, but it's a little bit more. I like janky. it, but I could see how someone who's not as tech savvy is like you, me, or our listeners may not find that to be the best. This reminds me of when Windows added UAC, right? Everyone um, hated it. Everyone hated it, right? But it's commonplace now, and it's uh, it's honestly a huge uh, security boon. Uh, it prevents you from running everything as an administrative task, which is very good. It prevents malware from just running a monk because... You have to uh, grant things privileges as they need it. And oftentimes you're not going to just give everything, uh, you know. I know I wouldn't. Like maybe maybe somebody's just going to hit yes to everything that pops up. But if I see something that pops up that's sketchy, then I'm going to say no. You know what I mean? Like, I do. Like we've ran into people at work who have bought gift cards. And like phishing is really hard to protect against from an IT standpoint, right? Like it's, it comes from a legitimate user, from a legitimate email address. You just have to train your staff. And if your staff doesn't care, then they're going to get affected by it, right? Like phishing is like, like, like phishing is very hard to protect against if you don't Mm -hmm. have the mindset to, you know, do your due diligence. Right. Like, like it's really easy. I I don't say it's easy, but it's, it's. It's not too. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's it's expected to protect against malware, right? Like right. It's like 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 to put the controls in place on your endpoints and to put and, and, and to put the controls in place on your network to protect against you know intrusions, malicious code, things of that of, of that nature. But if someone literally sits at a computer and uses a legitimate e- email address and you know, goes out to social media and uses social engineering to find out, you know, who runs your company, who's your CFO, who's your executive vice president. It's really easy to get that information and then send an email to someone who doesn't know any better and do their due diligence and get them to buy a gift card or things of that nature. You know what I mean? Most of the time this stuff is obvious, like 90% of the time. Sometimes you get some that are really good. 
You know what I mean? I mean You're like, wow, I mean, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm I mean, impressed, dude. I've had uh, I've had multiple trainings at my work where I'm like, hey, you know, like check the sender's email address, look for proper spelling. You know, like we will never ask you for gift cards, and we still have had three people who went out and bought gift cards, and, right. and they came from that. They, they like, and there's nothing terrible, I can do about it. Because that's like right? the dumbest, yeah, the dumbest thing. Like, who's the IRS? Like, are you claiming to be the IRS? Like, uh, what? Yeah, it, it, I, I, I mean, the one that 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 kind of got us was someone posing to be the CEO of the organization, saying, "I'm in meetings all day, but I need to get some thank you gifts for some clients. Can you run over to CVS and grab fifty dollar, ten fifty dollar iTunes gift cards?" And they would go do it. Oh my god, ridiculous! That's um, that's so dumb. Yeah, uh, and sorry, and, uh, <laughs> sorry, and, and, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, no, and like. Again, like I append every email with an external header. I have the, yeah. the the new feature in Exchange that uses AI to determine uh, what addresses you get email from frequently. So, like, it'll actually pop up in a box that says you don't usually get email from this person, right? Oh, so like, so like, if if someone claims to be like. Like you, for example, yeah. to me, right? Like if someone claims to be Eric, claiming to be you, and then I got a pop up that says, "Hey, you usually don't get email from this person, but I know we talk every day." You would think like, "Oh, something's not right here." You yeah. know what I mean? But still, people are just like, oh, "Okay, checks out. Yeah. Works good." We have a thing so, at like, work that for us, it's like um, this email is from outside your organization. Like that will I come ha- up. I ha- I have that too. Yeah, yeah, and that should be yeah. pretty obvious, right? Like if I have an internal email. Like okay, I know what it is. If it's if I'm getting yeah. something that looks internal, but it's from outside my organization, that's a little sketch, dude. Yeah, but uh, it, it's it's it, it's just people not caring, and that's kind of like so like you know coming full circle. I I I, I see Apple's pain because you want to protect people from that as much as possible, right? But you also don't want to limit. Uh, the end user's ability to do what they need to do. So, you know, coming back to Apple and full right. circle, you know, like that's kind of the beauty of Face ID, right? Like it's totally seamless to the end user, right. but it provides appropriate authentication and protection for the end user without the end user re- even realizing that they're authenticating with something they have. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's, I think Apple does a great job for the most part at that. Like it's pretty seamless what they do. Uh, regarding security and i think that the i think the reason that the ipad is such a great experience is because it's closed right like the moment you make it open you have to make those inconvenient things to keep you safe Mm -hmm. oh you're 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 totally Uh, right so like the fact that the ipad is closed i don't have to ask like the only thing i have to do is like i might you know, say like location permissions or something like that might be the one pop up or something. Uh, but like, you know, pretty much everything's going to be able to use your mic and camera as needed. You know what I mean? It, it's just the way it is. And then, um, you know, it, it, it's not like it's popping up. Like you get everything from the app store. So it's like, you know, it's pretty seamless, right? That's kind of, if, if, if you don't want, uh, to deal with the security stuff being annoying, then go to those closed ecosystems. But I think that if I don't think you design these open platforms around dumb people because you can't use these if you don't know what you're doing. You can't. I don't disagree. Don't disagree. Not in a safe way. Like not really. I think they've done a great job with modern operating system design to make it pretty good a pretty good balance between safe and usable, right? And still be open. 
So especially on Mac OS where you have to go in there and say like, accept this and my security or whatever, if it's like a third party app or whatever, like you downloaded it. Oh, you downloaded this app. Are you sure you want to run it? Yes. You know what I mean? So I, I I prefer that way more. Um, Even if the end users are dumb, I think they ought to get educated. That's my opinion on it. Um, Even if it is at the expense of some IT time, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I don't know. But anyway, I want to move on, dude. Memory leaks thing. Hopefully they fix it. Steam Deck delay, dude. I want to talk about that. So I got an email. I sent it to you. Or I sent the little I screenshot. It, I was like, oh, I got no. the same email, dude. Two months pushed back, dude. Worst case I scenario. Think, I don't think anyone uh, <laughs> is surprised. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised either. So, you know, they basically Actually, said it's going to be dude. delayed two months. There it is, yeah. And uh, the launch of the Steam Deck will be delayed by two months. We're not shocked, uh, you know. So what it puts it into February 2022, and it's a it's disheartening, but it's expected, right? Valve, I mean, they're not industry leaders in hardware, so you know, it kind of. I'm not surprised that they they kind of you know they made an estimate that was a little bit uh, ambitious, and the silicon shortage kind of slammed them a little bit. And I get that. And they list that out. Like they, they, you know, they basically say in their email that, you know, they, they did estimates, but because of global supply chain issues, um, they're not able to reach their goals and, you know, they're not able to get to the manufacturing facilities in time is what they say. So yeah, it kind of sucks because I wanted to play with the steam deck real bad, dude. (laughs) You know, I'm kind of wanting to play. I, I want to get rid of my desktop, dude. Yeah. I honestly, I, I kind of wish I could, but I, I do need the desktop. I think, um, unquestionably I need the desktop. Um, I don't, I, I, I still need it. I still need it for gaming. I still need it for those brute force, like hardware tasks that even, even the M one can't really beat. Like as much as you optimize the M one, it still doesn't have raw horsepower. And sometimes you do need it. Um, I can't I mean, render uh, as fast on it with DaVinci Resolve. Not that that matters, right? Um, because it, do, it it renders very quickly. Uh, so, what's the difference? What's the difference since since I think we'll be transitioning into Resolve pretty next, quickly? Yeah, what's actually, the, right now. Um, what's the difference in in like render time? Because you probably have have done a bunch of tests on that. I would assume I need to run more, uh, but. I, all I know is like, cause I don't have the numbers in front of me. I was going to actually take some notes and actually, you know, be able to spit out some numbers cause I wanted to do multiple projects, multiple different times and kind of get like an average of like, sure. what, what's the percentage, uh, gain you get by being on desktop versus like the laptop. And like, it depends on also what codec you're using. Um, not really the container as much as like if you're using H.264, H.265, maybe you're exporting in like a ProRes or something. Because uh, some people deliver in ProRes, you know, like to if you're giving to a media organization, they want to use that footage. So, like, there there would be a reason for that. So, there's a lot of scenarios in which I'd test, but the GPU in, uh, encoding was just that much better. It was, like, significantly faster uh, from my tests. Um, but then again, how often does it matter, right? Like, if you're MKBHD and you're rendering maybe in, like, a... Uh, how long is it, are his videos? Like maybe fifteen minutes, and he said he can export. I was gonna say about um, yeah, but I was gonna say between like ten and fifteen. Ten to fifteen yeah, minutes, and yeah. like you know, it, he can export in like I don't know, like he said like four minutes or something. I don't know. Um, 
I, you know, like if for me, it would be a little bit longer because I have like, if I master this, uh, if I work on this podcast, it's going to be like an hour and a half maybe. And then I have to edit it. So like it for an hour and a half, even if you're doing like, you know, 30 seconds of frame, you know, you're still looking at, you know, almost an hour of rendering. Right. Uh, but even then, like it was pretty much almost like, uh, it, it was almost like I was getting pretty much one to one, like one minute for, uh, like it, it basically would take the entire time of the length of the podcast to render, uh, which would be like an hour and a half long sometimes. So like, and, and your timeline is, is, is it 30 or 24? Uh, 30. So I'm running a 30 frames per second timeline right now, 4k, uh, currently. And so it takes a lot longer than it did on the 1080p timeline. Um, right, right. But uh, so it does take some time to render and it would take even longer on the Mac. So if you're rendering a podcast, it's taken that long. Uh, and I render it a pretty high bit rate. So like uh, I, I basically cap it out. I try and aim for like 80,000 kilobits per second or uh, I guess 80 megabits a second if you want to put it like that. And uh, that's pretty taxing. So it takes a long time. And that sucks, but like, um, it's the render times don't really matter. You kind of just fire it off and like walk away. But sometimes it's like, I'd like to publish this. I'd like to upload it to the YouTubes, you know, get it up. And, uh, if you can do it faster, that's good. Right. Oftentimes, like after we're done here, I'll probably want to, you know, edit the thing, get it edited like pretty quick. Right. And then like, I want to upload it. And if it takes a long time, uh, that's where the desktop still comes into play. Not to say the MacBook isn't fast because it is any other laptop. I would say like, you're not really going to outperform it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're comparing against other laptops, like hands down. So I think where I'm at, dude is, uh, uh, I prefer having a portable device where like all of my workflow is So like coming home docking my MacBook and then taking it with me has advantages more so than like, a Rob. faster render time yeah you know what uh, and even regardless i'm still going to use the macbook for all mm-hmm. my editing you know what i mean like uh, resolve like i don't care about that render time performance the timeline performance is that good on yeah. the m1 that's really what i care about right so how good is timeline performance uh, right. and i like how it runs on the m uh on the m1 max so i'm gonna use it so, yeah. So, you wanted to talk HDR workflow. Yeah, right? I did, HDR dude. Workflow. I spent you, I sent you a screenshot. It was basically like how many times I was testing. Mm-hmm. I was literally I had like 10 seconds of footage that was in HDR. I did a grade on it. I liked how it looked in the preview window. And uh I kept trying it over and over. And I kind of want to give some context to this to yeah, uh the listeners and viewers. So um, forgive me if I rant a little bit. I'll try and summarize so I'm not as uh, as wordy as I normally am. But correct me, what do you think, dude? Do you think HDR is like one of those things that you really enjoy about displays nowadays? Uh, it depends. Does it matter okay, to you, dude? So I, I would say that in a YouTube video, no. I would say that in a movie and a game, yes. Okay. So... I'm of the opinion that it would be great if everything could be HDR, right? Okay. Um, I just love it. 
specifically, and, and we didn't mention this, but even in games, right? Games, I absolutely love HDR, right? I think that you, you won't argue with me there. I think that you like no, HDR games. No, like, 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 for example, um, uh, my television, my Samsung Q9DR is kind of on the cusp where it's USB or wow, USB HDMI 2.0 B, but it has 2.1 features, but it's not true 2.1. Right. So sometimes if I play a game on Xbox that's VRR, 4K, 120 hertz HDR, sometimes um, my TV won't realize the input until I go to my home screen and then go back. But right. I can tell right away when HDR didn't load properly. Like like right away, yeah. It, like but like instantly. if it's hitting though, it looks good, right? It, yeah, like, yeah. It looks insane. It, it looks HDR, insane. Like, if if your game works well with it, some games don't do HDR the best, right? I'll admit that. But when they do, they hit right. Like the the when the brightness is bright and it's just like the specular highlights are just very crisp and colors are just that good. You're like, yeah. yes, this is fantastic. And the new MacBooks, the displays on them are honestly. Like, they're so good. I really like the new Pro Display XDRs in these MacBooks. They're just so good. Um, and I know this because I've tested footage. Like, I've done HDR YouTube videos. I haven't looked at Dolby Vision stuff yet because I'd have to like... Can I take a little side road yeah, there real ahead. quick? What's your opinion on the mini LED blooming? So As I'm going to be honest. I haven't seen it, especially in SDR content. If you're in SDR content... Uh, I don't think the screen gets bright enough to where blooming okay. is visible. I think that okay. if you're if you're watching certain HDR content, it's going to be unavoidable. I I'm pretty sure. I haven't tested it. Mm. I was going to do the Starfield test, which is where OLEDs just kill it, right? Yeah. Um, and I was going to see if I get blooming around like little little stars, you know. Uh, that's what I want to. I think that's like the uh, benchmark. How well does it do to my eye on that? And uh, I haven't got the footage to test. I need to find out like where that is. Maybe I could find it on YouTube or something like a an H, a good like OLED screen test. That would be probably. I would, I would probably test. Uh, I could show you the one I, I uh, off podcast that I tested Kelly's twelve point nine inch iPad on. Okay, and like the scene looks looks like breathtaking. They have the one, but okay, but go ahead. there but there are definitely scenes where you can see blooming. At least I can see blooming. I mean, like I'm super. I'm super sensitive to it, I right. guess. Well, but, how many dimming zones it. are on, on that display? Uh, is it the same as these new ones? Probably, I, right? I Pretty similar. Like the, the new... Has, the 12.9 has... It says more than 2,500 dimming zones okay. on the iPad Pro. It's quite a bit. And I don't know how much is in the new... Uh, I'm pretty I'm bad sure, about sure remembering probably, those like weird fact numbers. Um. But I know there's a lot, right? I know there's a lot, especially compared to displays that I'm used to. It says it just says here that uh, the 12.9 inch iPad Pro includes 2,500 dimming zones, and while it's not and it's not entirely clear how many dimming zones are in the 14 and 16 inch MacBook. Okay, so we don't know yet, or, or they might have put it out there. I don't know, but um, it's I just know the display looks great in normal content. Like there's probably going to be a couple times like you'll see blooming, but in all the content I've consumed thus far that has been HDR, it's looked so good. Uh, it's just so bright. It's, you know, a DCI-P3 color gamut, like, sure. capable display. It just, like, the colors pop. 
Everything looks so good. And so I want to be able to master an HDR. It's been kind of a goal of mine because I just love the experience of watching HDR content on HDR-capable displays. Not everybody has them yet, which I think is a big shame because they're really, uh, to me, it's just like the next level of fidelity that I, I really love. I think people are just... I think people are are allergic to spending money on things they don't see value in. Right. It's, I think that, you know, and this is another thing. You know how, like, people go to Best Buy and they're, like, looking at the displays and, uh, and they always have, mode? like, the demo stuff running? Yeah. Like, are, I wonder if on the HDR TVs, do they have, like, an HDR demo running? Or is that, like, an SDR? They do. Or, like, they do. So, like... Okay. I know this specifically for three reasons, because one, I, I used to work at Best Buy, and two, I have a bunch of friends who still work at Best Buy. Uh, so essentially how it works is like Best Buy sells uh, like 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 floor space, right? Like that's right. part of Best Buy's revenue plan is they basically do advertising. So like the big Sony display you see, the big Samsung display you see, the big LG display you see, uh, those manufacturers bought that space. Okay, you know? that makes sense. And then, and then Best Buy has to uh, set up that space to their specifications. So essentially what they'll do is like, I'll just use LG, for example, because like I'm kind of partial to LG display. Same, um, yep. LG will ship this this box that almost looks like a server rack that has like, let's say, nine HDMI outs on it. And every TV will plug into this server box and it will just run a demo that's been 100% calibrated and tuned to show those displays in their best possible scenarios. Okay. Um, that's pretty so smart. In the case of LG Display, that's, an, that's, that's a 4K black heavy contrasty. Yeah, you know, just because you can go on YouTube HDR, and look up that OLED HDR like heavy, heavy demo. Yeah. Whereas if you walk over to the Samsung's booth, they're going to show something a little bit different, right? Like they're not going to want to show you that QLED is blooming, so they're going to focus on 8K content because they have like the Q900s out that are 8K televisions. So they're going to focus on like micro detail. You yeah. Know? But to answer your question, every demo is 130% in HDR because. It just shows the TV in the best light. It does. And uh, I think I'm addicted to that kind of content, you know. You ever watch a movie that, like, you don't really care to watch, but you know it's going to have that sick visual? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, a good example for me, I'm, like, I'm a weirdo because I'm into cameras and, video and like, video and photos right. and stuff. So, like, I really, like, if I'm not really... Even if I am or aren't interested in the movie, like I'll always look up the cinematographer. Like mm -hmm. a, a Manuel Uzbeki is like insane. Like the dude from The Revenant. Oh, like, yeah, that was I, a great movie. I remember that uh, uh, he would only film certain scenes of The Revenant based off of how the sun was because he wanted to use natural light as much as possible. Uh, but I that's a good it. film, for example. But anyway, I, I guess the point that, to your point, I, I wasn't really excited for Alita Battle Angel okay. at all. Uh but having a Samsung television in like my theater space, uh, they're allergic to Dolby Vision, oh, so they yeah. only have HDR10 plus, and right. that is like one of three movies that's done in HDR10 plus. And I watched it just for that reason. So. Yeah, 
You know, it was uh, that's pretty funny, actually. I was looking up, uh, you know, HDR color grading for DaVinci Resolve, and you know, I can I can do different things. I can do HD. Uh, I can do um, HDR ten, HDR ten plus, and Dolby Vision exports, right? Uh, and it's it's very interesting how that works. And there's like because uh, there's like different HL, uh, HDR standards, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was doing all the difference. Uh, what's the difference between the, all the standards? Which one is kind of ideal if I upload to YouTube? And I, I think my conclusion is you want to do like an HLG based HDR uh, because it looks the best uh, when viewed on SDR displays, which I think is most people. I think that you're going to get people on mobile that have like the latest iPhones that might be able to experience that HDR. And then you're going to get people like maybe watching it like with like an Apple TV or something that can experience that HDR. But like for the most part, um, your YouTube audience is probably an SDR based view, uh, viewer. You know what I mean? Um, so you kind of want to master your HDR with an SDR conversion in mind, which is so- such a pain. It's really a pain. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Uh, and, and this is something I don't understand, so maybe you can explain it to me and the viewers. What's the difference between an HDR standard, like HDR, HDR10, HDR10+, Dolby yeah. Vision, and HLG? So I can't tell you much other than... I also like hybrid log gamut, but that's yeah. basically the knowledge, extent yeah. of my knowledge in that. Right. So what I found is it look okay so if say you're watching an hdr video and you're watching it on an sdr display um uh or you're watching it with like a a viewer that's uh presenting it in sdr you know what i mean like say you open it in vlc it's an it's an hdr video you open it in vlc that application has to tone map that image and a lot of times if you know you're gonna it's gonna look like you're looking at log footage right like there's like ST2084, which is like the like if you export uh, an HDR D- Dolby Vision, I'm pretty sure it's like an ST2084 based. Oh, wait, 2084 are, is that different than is, Rec 2020? It's like um, it's a different standard for. I think it's like a different way to present your color space. It has a different gamma curve. There's a lot more involved with it, right? Um, so. It's about like where it's about like I, I honestly I don't know enough about it to be able to explain it in a easily consumed way. I only kind of know what it means to me, right? ST twenty eighty four based exports, HDR based exports like Dolby Vision don't look the best on SDR displays without tone mapping that can translate it to SDR properly. And depending on what you're viewing that Dolby Vision content on, it's either going to do a good or a bad job. Like, say, for example, if you're viewing it on an Apple TV, it's probably taking that Dolby Vision um, HDR video, and then it's going to be able to do a relatively good SDR conversion for that. But they might not even do that. They might just have, like an SDR master that they'll show you instead. Sure. sure. You know, like say you go on the Apple TV, uh, Apple like movies or whatever, and you download a movie 
Um, and if you're on an SDR display, maybe they'll just show you the SDR master for it in 4K uh, instead sure. of the Dolby Vision one. Like that, I don't even know if they go through that conversion or not. That's a, it's a big question. The the only reason I bring up HLG is I noticed that if I export and I also did the research on it, it's sort of designed to where if you're viewing it on an, on an SDR display, the only thing you're really losing is that specular detail. Most okay. of the, the way the gamma curve works is most of that data is uh, the, the HDR data per se is really only giving you more specular de- detail, um, like in the very bright brights. Sure. And then sure. everything else sort of matches an SDR profile. So it, that way, when you do when you're viewing it, SDR it looks pretty good, um, but like ST twenty eighty four and other HDR standards don't do that. They have a kind of a more linear ga- gamma curve where the data okay. is more like evenly spread out, and it looks like log footage on an SDR display just because they don't do that uh, tone mapping to make it look good, uh, and and that's what I notice uh, is what's happening to, for me. So I did like many different exports hdr exports and some of them looked good some of them looked really washed out and it, it was very difficult to find like this sweet balance uh because sure. it's like what, it, it really depends that. on what you're publishing for right uh it's kind of interesting because they they have a netflix preset for if you're exporting to netflix and they have like all hmm. this stuff like for because resolve as a netflix preset they do so it's now is that just netflix or is it like a streaming service preset it's for like if you're mastering a netflix original it's gonna it's gonna deliver your project in a way where netflix will accept it when you give it to them for streaming service right uh, which is pretty interesting. They have like certain requirements and everything, and Resolve kind of like handles it for you, which is that's pretty nice. It's really neat. So like, if yeah. you're making net Netflix originals, they have certain requirements for HDR and everything like that, uh, which is fascinating. Sure. Uh, I love that. Um, that's pretty cool. That that Resolve has that built in. It kind of makes you feel like you're using like an actual professional tool because like you are though. You right? are. Like you know what I mean? Kind of movies made in Resolve. Uh, I think. Yeah. Which is awesome. Uh, yeah. I, you, that's what's fascinating. I just kind of want to see what the bleeding edge is with uh, with H, which with HDR. I mean, but I'm kind of me personally. Yeah, I I, I think I still need to uh, learn how to grade properly in SDR before I tackle the different workflow. I, I'm starting to feel like there's. It's funny because I agree. I think that I need to focus on SDR. Like without question, most things are SDR, and SDR can look pretty damn good. Let's be mm-hmm. real, right? Like 90% yeah. of YouTube videos you watch, yeah. SDR, they look great. Um, so you can make a good-looking SDR image. And unless it's a film, do you really need HDR? Probably not, dude. Like, is this podcast going to really benefit? Like, look at this image right now, dude. Am I going to have, like, a thousand-nit bokeh balls in the background? No. You know what I mean? What do if I, you did, dude? What if I what did? What if you did? <laughs> what if I did, dude? Um but like my point is like it's this podcast wouldn't really benefit from an, uh, from an HDR timeline, um, and and most content probably won't. So it's probably best that I don't focus on HDR. I think that I just want to do it to spite the other YouTube creators that aren't doing it, that talk I, about uh, wanting to do it. 
I don't know if it's like for spite or if it just turns down to like that, you know, worth versus effort type deal where it's like, yeah, they probably have enough follower base where it's like, okay, I have like, like, let's take MKBHD, for example, like he probably has like, let's say 2.5 million views per video. That's probably being generous. And he probably, you know, looks at YouTube analytics and he's like, all right, less than 1%, uh, would actually receive this in an HDR capable format. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, yeah, I would love to see those analytics, but you're probably right. Like it's, it's not worth it. They probably should focus on other things. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the case. I think it's not really out of spite. I think it's more of a aspirational thing. Like I see, I kind of see what these YouTubers are doing. They talk about wanting to move to HDR eventually. And I, and, and and being interested in an HDR workflow. And I kind of wanted to challenge myself. Like, can I do it? You know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I I can. It's just uh, okay. Let me tell you the challenge I'm finding is when w- no matter how I export uh, an HDR video, QuickTime will not be as bright as the preview window was in Resolve. Really? Yeah. No matter what I do, it just seems like it doesn't match up with what I saw in the preview window. And I've tried a lot of stuff to try and make that fixed. So that's why I kind of want you to get in your hands on one of these uh, things so I can mm-hmm. share my project with you and then maybe you can help me figure it out. Cause if I can figure that out, then I can actually color grade in HDR and get like a really crispy uh, showcase of HDR. You know how like people, you know, if you're testing an HDR display, you go to YouTube and you watch that freaking lion video or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you watch the yeah. snake. It looks really nice. You watch the LG. I want to make my own HDR test video. That looks crispy. You know what I mean? Um, that I can, whenever I get a new display, I can throw up my video and be like, okay. And what's how it looks, dude? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know the baseline, dude. Yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I, I make get my it. own HDR baseline, you know? And I just think that that would be fun. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that when the time comes. But, uh, but yeah, DaVinci Resolve has been a lot of fun lately, dude. That's great, man. I mean, I'm enjoying it too, obviously. Uh, I mean, you're probably like as, as, as much as I'm into video, I would say that I'm still probably 70% photo 30 video and you're probably the opposite of me. Yeah, that's probably the case. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm still learning a lot about both and, you know, I've been focusing on video lately because I, I think that's what I'm fascinating in doing for YouTube mm-hmm. and for the podcast. I've been doing it, but you know, we have our little uh, uh, other channels and stuff. I wanted to produce content for, so I've been kind of focusing on it. But dude, do you see what some of these colorists can do? Like, yeah, I'm like that video impressed. you linked me the other day. Like, it's just the learning process. I'm excited for a lot, uh, just because I'm I'm interested in that. You know what I yeah. mean? Like. I find that fun. It's very similar to photo editing, but I'm finding that you can do as much with video as you can with photo in a lot of ways. Like with the look Mm -hmm. of an image, you can make it look any way you want. You can highlight the face. You can change skin tone specifically. You can change the color of a dude's shirt. You can, you know, you can do so much and it's not hard. You just got to know the magic, the, the, the workflow and, I'm still learning it, but I'm excited to play around and make that crispy yeah. shot. You know, I would I almost be a colorist, it. like as my job. You know? I would love to do that. Yeah, like I, it's funny because I was thinking about about that on my drive home. Yeah, that I would love to be a colorist, but I don't think it pays. 
Yeah, like, like I'm sure if like, I'm sure like if you're in like the top maybe two percent, it pays. Yeah, but I feel like I don't know, man. Like I see like all of these like small like media creation firms around here, right. and they have like videographers and stuff, and they make like forty k, and it's like oh okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably pretty good for yeah. some people, but like when yeah. you're working in like high end IT and stuff, like mm-hmm. um it's kind of a downgrade, right? Like I'm not l- l- quitting my job so I can be a colorist, right? Um I would. I would. I, I <laughs> would you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like uh, if they paid me the same, absolutely. If they paid you the same, but like if they yeah. paid you like the less like the average, like no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So like if I if I could start a photography business right. and I made 30% less than I do now, I would do it. Yeah. I think that it would be fun, more fun. I, I think it'd be more enjoyable. So it'd probably be worth it. Um, and, and like another thing is you would just write off all that camera gear that you'd buy anyway with your, your regular income on your taxes and right. your business would be buying it, you know, it's like, Plus, like, uh, like the dream is getting paid to do something you enjoy yeah. and also being able to set your own hours. Like, if I felt like working 10 hours today and six hours tomorrow, right. I'd be able to do that. You know, I'd have that freedom. So I'm going to be honest. I feel like if I'm a business owner, suddenly I'm working, like, way more hours than, like... Right, but it's, on, but it's usually on, like, something... Day, like, but you see the initial return of that, right? Like, that's the difference, right? Like, if you work... Right. Like, sometimes I put in, like... 14 hour work days at my work you know i do that and yeah. it's like what did i get from it oh i get to go to bed and wake up at the same time and and and, and do it and all do over a full again. day and and, and 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 get nothing for it you know but like right. you know so no i feel that yeah, dude right. like uh, yeah if you're working those rough hours for sure like that makes total sense uh i i feel like i got a pretty much uh perfect job right now so anything mm-hmm. i do would be a downgrade for a significant amount of time yeah, and that's why it's got to start. Like, if I do a photography thing, if I do a like, a, if I start my own studio or whatever, then it's gonna be a side hustle for a long time. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, but I, I, I'm still interested in doing it because I love to to manipulate. I was telling people the other, you know, I was telling Amanda that photography and videography and film, it's all like the perfect amount of stimulating on a technical level to make it like really fun. Because, like, there's so many different camera settings, so much stuff you have to consider, more than just the artistic side of it. Because that's what, like, someone like Amanda that doesn't really understand the technicals, all they do is, like, so, like oh, I want to make this look cool, and they want to play with the sliders, right? But, so, like, like there's that's so kind of where involved. Kelly is. That's that's kind of where Kelly is. But, like, I, I think I told you, like, before you were even really into photography yeah. and videography, like, like when I first got into it, like, like you know, back in 20... 2016 or whatever right i wanted a creative outlet and like i have a very technical brain right like like i'm very analytical i'm very technical and i can't draw worth a shit i can't paint for anything (laughs) you know and like i i kind of got drawn to cameras and photography because uh just like even at the entry level surface with like just covering like basic stuff like the exposure triangle yeah uh there's a lot of like analytical and like math that goes into taking a really proper photo. Uh, yeah. Even and, today and I'm that not kind a master of, at it. I'm still like yeah. getting better all the time and I'm yeah. like learning things about like how I ought to be shooting and how to better use the exposure triangle. And like, I love that. I love how technical it is. Um, and 
it, it does, it feels good from both perspectives. It's creative and it's technical. And uh, I think you'll like Blender because it's kind of like that too. I do like Blender yeah. or, 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 or like I do want to learn Blender, but right now it's like, yeah, I'm trying, I, 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 I prioritized video, yeah. right? So it's like, I don't want to jump off the time, deep end dude. into two things at, right. at the same time. No, you, it's hard for me, honestly, you know, it's like my, I don't know if it's my ADHD brain or what, but it's like one thing and all the way that one thing, dude, hmm. you know what I mean? So like, that's me right now with like resolve and video and getting into it. It's like a hundred percent, like learning about it, watching videos, sucking in all that knowledge. Cause there's a lot to know. Yeah. It's crazy. And you know, I kind of, it's funny. Cause like the more, you know, the more you look at and see that like the difference in technique from uh person to person, like it, you watch yeah. all these different uh resolve, uh, I guess tutorials and you see that people do things differently and they do, they do. Some th- sometimes worse than others. And it, it's fascinating. Well, so. I mean, that's kind of testament to the software for me, right? Like you see it in capture one, you see it in Lightroom, you see it in Photoshop that like these, you know, call them professional grade softwares are so powerful that you can really create a workflow that works for you and and achieve similar results which i think is pretty cool right like it is like it's 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 nice to have multiple paths that get you from point a to point b and then you can kind of develop a workflow that 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 really fits your style yeah i think it's just resolve like you know when we were you had me download final cut and uh, so I, <laughs> let me tell night. you, dude, I yeah. don't think Final Cut is as hype as it should be on the Mac. I don't. Yeah, I don't dude, because it still has to do what you have to do in Resolve. It still has make to proxies. make optimized yeah. media. Like if you're working in. OK, if you're working with footage that's already in ProRes, yeah. um, either platform is fine. Except if you're in ProRes Raw. If you're in ProRes Raw, you basically have to use Final Cut. Um, or you convert your footage to ProRes 444, and then you can use it in Resolve. But if you're using, wow. that's the only time that I feel like Final Cut has an advantage. I've like Resolve, okay, and then in the weird import audio thing that you, you saw me do, which I'm yeah, not going to yeah. get into. So there's definitely some charm to be had with Final Cut. But I feel like Resolve is just like, the color grading tools, the the tools that you get are really good. I, I wouldn't want to give those up, man. I wouldn't want to give them up to go to Final Cut. No, I agree with you. I, 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 I think for me and Resolve, the color grading tab alone is worth it. It's so powerful, you know, uh, the, the tools that they give you uh, for qualifying and, and everything. It's just really good. Tracking, stuff like that. Like, I know that they've added that stuff to Final Cut, but I just feel like it's uh, it's different. It's not, I feel like the package is better in Resolve. I, I agree for that. So what have you been doing in Resolve? Like, you've been doing a lot of stuff for work, which is awesome. I'm doing a ton of stuff for work in Resolve, yeah. That's yeah, kind so of funny because like, your job um, is like, it's all over the place, dude. It's like now you're, yeah, mostly, you're a video yeah, it's editor. Mostly, it's mostly IT and cybersecurity, but, like, it kind of falls into that wheelhouse of, like, if I could uh, do something I, I, I enjoy yeah. and want to learn and, 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 and eat up work time for it, I'm going to take that advantage. You know what I mean? Like... I don't blame you, dude. Like, I would love yeah. it if they let me do it. Um, although they'd probably give it to... We have, like, a bunch of artsy, fartsy guys uh, on a, yeah. uh, across the way that are, like... All they do is, like, Photoshop all day. And, like, uh, they do a little bit of 3D modeling and Unity stuff. So they probably have those artsy guys do the video editing. Probably. But, uh, probably. 
Like we don't really have a, a need for that with what I'm doing. Um, but so yeah, that'd be awesome. That's cool. Yeah, as hell. it'd be really cool. Yeah, you get to play we're with closer, the gear. dude. We could, we, could, we could do stuff together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm pretty much um, stuck down here, dude. I don't think I can yeah. move. Yeah. <laughs> I think what what you know I I'm mostly working on is. I kind of want to get to a point where I can do photography on the side, like just start off with some supplemental income to basically yeah. uh, fuel my lens purchasing. You know what I mean? Right. So at the bare minimum, that's kind right? of, yeah, like that's, yeah, that's kind of where minimum, I'm at. Yeah. Like, let me get enough money to pay off this camera gear. That's all I need, yeah. dude. I don't need to be doing it. Like yeah. I don't need to be rolling in the dough. I just want to be able to pay off this. I, camera saw, gear. I just want to buy more lenses. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I like I like, and like cool I, lenses. I've, I've I already, primes. Well, I've already told Kelly that like if 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 I you know start doing this, I think the first lens that I'm going to save up for just from side hustle money mm-hmm. is like something ignorant, like the 400 eight. Oh my god, you know that'd be I mean? so <laughs> cool, dude! That'd be awesome. And, that's and a great focal length. Really, four hundred millimeter two eight, dude. That's like twelve hundred, twelve thousand dollars. Oh my but, god. Uh, it's like one of the big white boys, but I uh, I promise you guys that if I meet my goal, uh, I will do a podcast where my camera view is four hundred two eight. Dude, where the fuck? You have to do it outside, dude. But yeah, dude. Where I'm gonna yeah. be looking at an eyebrow, like, and that's it. Like your eye, yeah. like that's that's like your whole side of the fucking screen. Yeah, dude. I really love my eighty five so much, dude. Like this guy is just so like I I love dude being able to get a one point four like. Uh, and just blow out backgrounds and I like I, I took a couple portraits of Amanda uh, a couple weekends back and I was just like this is fun I want to do it for yeah, professionally dude, uh, were those the ones that that we kind of both edited yeah we were playing around and yeah. I learned a lot from that uh, that scenario for the listeners out there I, I took a bunch of photos gave some to Randy and I said give me the Randy edit and the Randy edit uh, came back good looking oh 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 Amanda had a criticism though go on yeah so there was one shot you took it was when it was the one where um i took or i edited or sorry you edited uh okay. that was she was standing in the middle of like the the wooded area and um you you did the randy edit on it and i think she i think you uh i think i agree with her though uh you over brighten the face a little bit which one was to this? where it was do, like? Do you, um, I, do you remember on this one? Uh, I I know what it was it, from memory, but what, I don't have it. Oh, what lens was it? On, do I have it here? Um, no, this was is it the eighty-five edit. one or the twelve to twenty-four? It was the eighty-five, I think. Oh yeah, that shot was kind of hard to do because uh, I think it was left on evaluative metering and the backlight was brighter than the subject oh you know what so i i did brighten the face on that one but the 12 to 24 gm that shot was toasty dude that's a good shot dude yeah she wasn't like toasty uh, i think it almost looked like um you brightened the eyes a little bit which i I did uh, i think i did she did not like that like it looked kind of unnatural and i kind of agree with her dude i think it was a little bit too much um yeah like I tried to doctor that one up a little bit too much, I think, but I was trying to get like a more even exposure. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's one of those things that just kind of happens. I'm not going to show the podcast, but like, I think this one was it. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm just saying. I know it's what you're talking about. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it just seemed like uh, I see that a lot. You know, I I collect these uh, anime yeah, figures because d- d- I'm a weeb. This one was just hard to do. Uh, yeah. Um. So you also, I've noticed. So. A couple things I've noticed, and, and 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 like I could mention this without having to share 
the image. Um, the Sigma eighty five is is a great lens for value. Yeah, but it's nowhere the image quality of a twelve to twenty four GM yeah. or or like so so like I, I forget what your settings were on this, but 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 just for example, I th- I think I showed you the additional color noise in the Sigma versus the GM. Right. Uh, remember that, but also uh, her. Her eyes in question, uh, there they were naturally almost more skin tone. Like the, like, like it. I kind of felt like I had to boost the whites a little bit, and I may have went a little too far on this. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and show it off because why not? Uh, I just figured like let's give some context to it. So here's the image. Uh, so he did a great job. I love that. I, I don't have the uh, original, so you can't really see it unedited. But this was his edit, and I think like on the whole, it just looks very good. Um, it's where like, I think what really kind of grabs you though, when you look at her face is like the eyes kind of like, you just see those white dots, you know what I mean? And I think that that's where it kind of looks a little bit like the, the contrast between her pupil and then that white of her Mm -hmm. eye is just like a little too poppy. And I feel like it was just too much, uh, looking at my edit versus your edit. I was like, yeah, okay. I can kind of see like why he did it, but also I feel like it was a little, but it, it, I feel like this is kind of a learning experience, right? Um, like I, I think everything is a learning experience with photography. I think that if you deal with a photographer who claims to, you know, just be a master, I'd be a master. He's probably full of poop. Yeah, you know. So it's true. It's kind of funny because like you can do uh, like you could spend forever editing if you like. I think the best photographers know when to quit. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like yeah. if, if you're really picky, like I can be sometimes like I'll spend, I kind of learned over the years, I mean, like I got to cut myself off after a certain point. I mean, uh, the best advice that I've ever received online yeah. uh, was actually from my boy, Peter McKinnon. Uh, Your boy. I'm like, I don't actually know him. I just like him a lot. Uh, yeah. Is, is that he said that when he edits photos and he suggests everyone do this is you edit a photo, then you walk away for four hours and then come back and see if you still feel the same way about it. That's so true. You know like what I you mean? Need because, to reset. Yeah, like you just need fresh eyes. You really do. Like I, I've noticed that too, where I go back to photos that I took and I thought were pretty good. And then like after the edit and then I come back, like, I don't know later. And I look through my, all the photos that I've done and I'm like, you know, I kind of wish I would have done something different. And mm-hmm. that's the learning experience too, because like I'm a better photographer now than I was a year ago, even, um, or, you know, six months ago, even. And looking back now at that stuff that I, the work that I produced before, I'm like, I could do way better today. I, in my opinion, than I, I did yeah. back then. I think most people can say that, but it's kind of fun to see that progression. I'm like, you know, I'm like, dang, dude, I want to go back and look at that raw and re-edit my old photos and make them like crispy. It's funny how, uh, to your point, it's funny how like little things drastically change your ability as a photographer. Like for the longest time, and I'm talking like years, right? Like years. Yeah. I was obsessed with like following the rule of thirds, both horizontally and vertically. Yeah. And then I stopped, and then I stopped doing that. And I started to fill the frame to yeah. make things look interesting. Like, like I still follow the golden rule on some photos. I, I still do, you know, rule of thirds in some photos. But for some, just breaking the rules and filling the frame looks a lot better. Like, it's true. I, I, I think a good example of that is, do you remember when I shot those zombie run photos and I showed you the picture of the dog? Yes. Uh, and, like, I kind of cut off the guy's top head. Yes. But 
it, it looked so good, right? Like it, yeah. like 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 the composition was so interesting, in right. my opinion, compared to like if I tried to, yeah. you know, like put him in like the upper thirds and the dog in the lower thirds. Like I think that that sort of composition added a lot of interest to the photo. So no, you're hundred percent right. Like a lot of times, and I think that's kind of interesting. I, I bet you a lot of photographers go through this as uh, you know during their evolution is like they yeah. they learn about these rules. And then they kind of overcommit to them. And then they realize later, like, they're not like rules you have to follow. And then like, right. uh, Suddenly they ascend to this like next level. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like they leveled up and, and I've kind of gotten to that point too, where I've seen a lot of my favorite photos from some of my, uh, the most inspiring photographers that I've seen have not even committed to those rules at all. And I've, that's when I was like, wait a minute, you know what I mean? Like, especially in video, I've seen that a lot in video, like, you know, that rule of thirds is not something that, uh, really matters, you know, Yeah, yeah. especially in video. I notice like people do whatever the hell they think looks good. There's other things that matter in video. Like, you know how like uh scene to scene composition matters in video where like, if you're, if you're painting to the left, uh, in one scene, you might not want to break that flow in your in the next scene following the next it. scene, yeah. And like you might want to, you know, if you have things moving right, then in the following scene you might want to keep sure. think, moving things right, or maybe like don't do a jarring like right to left. Like there's a lot of things like that that I'm learning about that I'm like, dang, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it does. And no, it does. It's a it's a it's a constant it's a constant learning process. Yeah, you know, and like and like I came and wait till I get a flash for christmas that oh, I'm yeah. gonna buy and then i can start exploring with that because like if you start to like if you're bored one night man like just watch how um and and like that's not to say like 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 i don't know how to use flash now i do but like again uh my knowledge of flash is probably chapter two out of like a 40 chapter book you know so <laughs> like there's just there's yeah. that much huh yeah like i'm gonna get into flash i know that um it looks good. Like I've seen, uh, what's his name, dude? He's like, uh, Manny Ortiz, Manny Ortiz did the flash King. Cause he's always, you know, doing great, uh, flash photography with portraits, crispy yeah. footage, beautiful models. And I'm just like, dang dude, I, w- I wish I was this guy right now. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that, it's funny. It's funny so because fun. like it does dude. like his job is like the dream job, right? Yeah. Like, like it really is. He works and with like, great models. He takes amazing yeah. shots and like you his know. job, uh, he's kind of one of the, I don't want to call them pioneers, but like he's one of the people who like for a while, like it was basically off camera flash yeah. primarily and with modern advancements in flash technology for them to shrink the size of the flash down that they could be on camera, they can, you know, through the lens focusing like ETTL, uh, on camera flash has kind of made a come back in a big way right and i'm not talking like that little pop of flash that's on like your canon 60d i'm talking like you know, like the canon el1 or the sony hsl 60m i'm talking yeah. like big boy flashes so. right no i mean i've seen a lot of like remote flash stuff like yeah. and i was looking at a bunch of it because there's some good value flashes out there that are pretty good and i was yeah. like maybe i don't need like the on-camera flash that's like nutty i mean i do but like maybe I need some auxiliary flashes that you know I put in a softbox and yeah. and like you know I could use it for that. So, 
so you know and and this is for the listeners out there too but like if anyone's looking for like a flash suggestion i would recommend getting one of if not the best flash your native camera manufacturer offers uh either, either that's sony or canon or whatnot or, or 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 whatever and if you can't afford that look into some of the the circular Godax or Godox on camera flashes. Those are really good. Yeah. Uh, but ideally, uh, I would recommend either something from Sony or Canon or Godox that's that, that also has an IR transmitter. Right. And then pick up a bunch of like Flashpoint AD200s and buy a bunch of, I mean, like maybe one okay. or two, you know, as you can afford them because then you can, you can trigger, uh, you can trigger those with your on camera flash. And right. they're brilliant off-camera flashes. Absolutely brilliant. Like, yeah. like they're like two hundred bucks, and 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 I would say that they kind of make like the four thousand dollar bronze color ones kind of a non-starter. At least right. for me. Like, like, like I'm sure they have a place. Uh, but in my opinion, the difference between like a, a decent, you know, like eighty two hundred and like a bronze color. Right. And photos you'll be taking at home or at the studio or, 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 or like at your own personal studio is not worth the investment. I would put that elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah. So here's yeah. what I think, dude, yeah. if, if I'm going to give somebody a recommendation, like even if you have to get the cheap solution, it's better than no solution. It's better than no solution. Right. No, Way better. 100%. 100%. So, Way better, dude. If yeah. you buy a newer or Godox or whatever, like it's better to have the cheap light, the cheap flash, the no, no flash, no flash. Dude. Yeah. like you know I, st I still to this day use a bunch of cheap lights like for this setup here i have a couple of these uh these uh what is this uh the hell are you dude amaranth those what, what is this dude the hell is this oh oh the gvm is GVM. that a gvm dude yeah you like my aperture sticker uh, i got on there dude this faux <laughs> aperture sticker dude there you go uh but yeah so that's my that's my fill light, dude. That's my yellow kind of yellow fill in the back. But uh, yeah, those things are so good, and they're actually kind of yeah. affordable. And uh, you know, the aperture lights like they're not affordable, but they're like really clutch. And then you know, like I was using a key light that was like a, a cheap. I love that thing, one. dude. I use this thing all the time. Yeah, dude. For all those like that want like the the kind of like in your pocket like light, this aperture light is. I like use this thing all the time. Freaking sick. I love this thing, and it does full RGB, and it has wireless charging, USB-C. It's got different, like, uh, effects and stuff. Like, I love this thing. It's so cool. Um, one of my favorite little uh, – I'm glad that you convinced me to buy it. Let's just say that. Yeah, Even though, it's, it's like, solid. the thing is you don't need this, though. Like, if this is kind of a – this is still a luxury item, I think. Like, it was like 100, I think so too. 100 bucks, right? Yeah. Um, you can buy, like, those – a lot cheaper similar options to this this is just like the quality one and i'm glad to have it but like i still use those cheap lights too dude they're pretty close can i tell you that one thing i use on this way more than i thought i would was that um is the magnets yeah the magnets are so good like like yeah. I, I definitely uh use the magnets whenever possible in fact i used them the other day i was using this under my sink because I was replacing it, and I I have like the drawer rails under there, and I click magnet. <laughs> Did you see uh, uh, the one? Probably not, but I'm going to reference them again. The Peter McKinnon video, where he was, he has like four I think of these I did, in like dude. his go kit. Yeah, 
and uh, he was working on his truck, and he used one for like to work under his truck, like that for photography. Yeah. And he accidentally like left it there for six months, and it was still there. Oh my god! So, like, that's he's hilarious. like he drove around with it for like half a year, Are and then he's kidding? like, and like he was taking inventory one day, and he noticed that like that little aperture bag was empty. He's like, where where the hell is that light at? And then he looked, <laughs> and it was still stuck under his truck. Dude, that's hilarious, dude. You just, you just, I wonder if it still worked. <laughs> it, uh, half worked. It half worked. Okay, damn. So, like, it turned on and stuff, but yeah. uh, he he couldn't adjust, like, the color temperature anymore or something. Okay. But still, pretty impressive. You know, for I something mean, that, that, that six basically. Six under a truck yeah. with the weather and everything, yeah. Yeah, just say, like, something that totes no weather ceiling. Yeah. You know, that's, 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 that's kind of br- built like a brick shit house yeah. for me. I freaking love yeah. this light so much, though. It's it's such a like little clutch light. To Look use. at that, dude! Look at that, dude! Yeah. Looks like a that's stripper bullet. Pur- yeah, dude, I love the purple light, dude. Um, and then there's like you know spooky little effects and shit, like the broken bulb shit, party RGB rainbow. What do they call this? Unicorn puke when it's just like RGB. Uh, yeah, yeah, they hate that. Yeah, yeah, everyone hates that, dude. Cop car, dude. Gotta have that. You know. Look at that, dude. Uh, Put that in your window at night. Drive around. What the fuck, dude? Um, Just like reach out like Starsky and Hutch and like magnetize yeah. it to your roof, dude. Yeah. And drive down the street. These other uh, GVM lights have those effects too. Like lightning and shit like that. You can see. Yeah. I, I was going to put them out for Halloween. Like if we had trick or treaters, like I was going to be like, I'm going to put my freaking lights on like lightning mode and shit. Like put them outside. <laughs> you know? I thought that'd be fun. Um, but like I never, I wasn't here for Halloween cause I was, uh, on travel sadly and we didn't have trick or treaters anyway, so I couldn't do it. But I was like, yeah, I want to set up my lights and put the effects modes. <laughs> it's like, how often do you use those effect modes? Not very often, but right, right. it's cool that they're there. Anyway, dude, what other camera stuff you got to talk about? Cause we can wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, we wrapping it up, dude. I think we can wrap it up for now. I I, I may have more camera stuff next weekend, though. Oh, as always, next, so. There's always next week, dude. There's always next there week. Soon. Anyway, thanks for checking out the Technosthetic Podcast. Sorry if uh, we you. talked a little too much camera, but, like, you know, we, we're we kind of into it. it. We enjoy it. We yeah. enjoy it. So go ahead and yeah. leave comments down below. If you like the episode, go ahead and follow us and subscribe. You know, we definitely appreciate it, everybody. Uh, we appreciate every subscriber, especially because we have so few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, if you subscribe, we may call out by name. Exactly. <laughs> we, have, like, we appreciate we have, like, you by name. Anyway, thanks for uh, watching the podcast. See you next week.